Hello. Hi. Welcome to Truly Fabulously Monstrous. A podcast about true crime and cryptids. I am half of your host, Hattie James. I am your other half of your host, Ace. Hi, Ace. Hi, Hattie. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? A little lispy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how we were talking about the two episodes ago, how I had TMJD. They want me to have a splint, and I thought it was just a nighttime splint, but it's no, it's a unless I'm eating crunchy food or brushing my teeth, this thing's in my mouth, and it's making me a little yispy. Oh, it's like, uh, oh, what was it my sister had in high school? Headgear. I don't oh, know my... what headgear looks like. Oh, okay. Well, it's not, it's it's completely different from headgear. I'm just thinking it's similar to headgear in the fact that it, it's giving you a lisp because there's something in your mouth uh headgear technically headgear comes in a couple different kinds there's the permanent headgear which is um like if you ever watch that 70s show in the flashbacks where like when they're like little kids you'll see uh kelso had like weird like wire stuff coming out of his mouth and like oh like the character in ed ed and eddie yes yes yeah yeah yeah. that's the usually the permanent headgear uh my sister had the, it was, she only had to wear it at night and it was instead of horizontally, like across the bottom half of her face, it was vertical. Like, Terrifying. It was kind of like, there was like a little, you know, when you go and get like uh, an eye exam and you put your like chin into that thing. Yes. Like a little chin bucket thing that you put and then there another part that like rests on your head while they look at your eyes. It kind of had that kind of anchor and then a metal rod that ran like parallel to her nose and then there were things on that rod that would then like rubber band and anchor to her braces and then she had to wear that at night. Uh, I never had headgear but I did have a mouth expander which is just as terrifying and that's instead of it being like an external thing, it was all in my mouth. Oh, fun. There was a metal bridge that ran across the roof of my mouth because they had to do it exactly what it did, expand my palate so they could do what they wanted to do with my braces to move my teeth where they were supposed to go. But so every night, my, my dad was the only one who could do it because I was terrified of it and he was a dentist and he knew what he was doing. It had a, the little metal bridge that ran across the palate of like my, my soft palate had it had like a little mechanism in it that a metal key like a little wire key would fit into and you basically cranked it and with each crank it would widen and basically Ah. varies very slowly over a long period of time you expand the upper palate of your mouth i had a big old tooth gap for a while because of that very painful and i had a mega a mega lisp for a very long time. <laughs> that was just the beginning of my decade-long orthodontic journey. Yeah. But it was worth it. Now my teeth are... Well, I mean, they're always going to be weird. Like, they're constantly trying to move back into where they used to be before I had surgery. But at least now my teeth are touching where they're supposed to be touching. Yeah, I will never have good teeth. Uh, we live in America, and I don't have good uh, dental insurance. Because apparently healthy teeth are a luxury. Today it's my turn to tell you about cryptid. Yay, I'm excited. I don't remember this one at all. <laughs> cool. I think this is the last of the 
pre-recorded ones that we lost the recordings and then we're going to be on to fully new material after this right absolutely okay so i'm excited so this feels like new material to me because i don't remember this at all (laughs) okay so uh today i am going to talk to you about one of my very favorite water-based uh monstery things uh the kelpie interesting i don't think i know what that is oh um okay so have you heard have you heard of selkies they're the the uh the women that have this like their seals and they can come out of the water and they take off their seal skin and they like shapeshift into a human woman no okay so like this is not that that's kind of similar. (laughs) do you know this it's not that well i was gonna say it's kind of similar in that like the names are kind of similar like a selkie or a kelpie and there's a a shape-shifting uh animal coming out of the water like that's kind of most of the commonality okay but a kelpie is a usually malevolent oh i I thought it was always malevolent, but all the all, like all the notes that I looked at and all the stuff I wrote down, everything kept saying they're usually malevolent. I'm like, when are they not? <laughs> but they are a shape-shifting water spirit that inhabits non-oceanic water formations of Scotland. Oh, Scottish. They're often associated with the realm of the Fae. So they, uh, so non-oceanic water formations, so rivers, locks, ponds, anything. Uh, it can feed into the ocean, but it can't be the ocean. And it most commonly takes the form of a horse. Um, wait. Uh, horses aren't... They're I'll land animals. I'll get to why they take the form of a horse. Occasionally, they have been known to adopt human form, depending on who it's attempting to lure Actually, it kind of makes sense that the a lot of Kelpie stories involving them taking the form of a horse, it makes sense just from an uh, etymological standpoint, uh, because it's likely de- uh, derived from the Gaelic uh, Kalpa or Kalapek, meaning heifer or cult. So okay. uh, there is a debate amongst uh, folklorists regarding the Kelpie's habitat. Some define Kelpies as spirits strictly living beside rivers and as being very distinct from lakeside dwelling water horse, the Ikusag, I believe is how it's pronounced. That could be wrong, but um, Ikusag is how I'm going to go with it. Uh, however, other folklorists also extend the Kelpie's range to include locks as well as rivers. So it's kind of like a... Uh, debate amongst the folklorists maybe something you could get them riled up about at the bar if you're looking yeah. to get some folklorists riled up at the bar <laughs> if you ever run into multiple folklorists at the same bar on the same night like after the folklorist convention they all go to the same pub and you just say i just think i'm gonna rile them up <laughs> what is your thoughts on kelby's living beside locks they always live beside locks they never live beside locks how dare you um, there are quite a number of Scottish-based water demon myths, uh, each with their own name and location. So often the term Kelpie is used as kind of like a blanket catch-all description for a lot of different creatures. Okay. But the base description is very similar and is seen in a lot of these different myths. A shape-shifting spirit dwelling close to a body of water, usually malevolent, likes to lure people to their deaths. So almost all locks and other sizable bodies of water in Scotland have a Kelpie myth. Uh, The most widely talked about being uh, Loch Ness. However, 
this episode is not about Nessie, so don't get your hopes up. <laughs> okay. Nessie deserves her own episode. Um, because there are so many other lores about Nessie that she, yeah, she really deserves her own episode. I just thought that would be kind of cool that like one of the theories for Nessie is that she's a Kelpie. Interesting. Yes. So the Kelpie most often appears as a beautiful horse standing near water, often appearing to travelers who have been on the road for a while and who might still have a long ways to go or to children who might be enticed by the majesty of, oh, look, a beautiful wild horse. I'm just saying, like, it makes, like, why would it, it's a water demon, why would it be a horse? Because if you see a beautiful horse just standing in a field. You stay away from it. It could be feral. It could kick you. Yeah, but if you're a little kid, you're going to go, I want to touch the horse. Not if your parents raised you right. (laughs) This is folklore in Scotland. The children were running wild. Loose in the fields, just touching the horses, finding swords. Oh, it was chaos. Sounds it. Okay, so when they appear, they are usually alone, but they are bridled, saddled, and ready to ride again, which would be appealing if you were a weary traveler traveling on foot. Uh, no, like, because I have I... so much further to go. Oh, somebody abandoned a horse. Oh, maybe I could ride this horse into civilization and maybe find who it belongs to and also shave some hours off my traveling journey. I have so far to go. Or if it's near body water, maybe the traveler's just bathing, taking a nap. Right, so they're not paying attention, so you steal their horse. That's theft, and they deserve to be dragged into the water. That's theft. <laughs> so they will also uh, usually appear, not not usually, but sometimes they'll have uh, water dripping from their mane consistently, even if the rest of their body appears dry. Sometimes they might even have vegetation uh, from the water hanging on their mane or their tail. Terrifying. But they never appear outwardly dangerous and, in fact, will seem very calm and enticing, will not shy away from people. You know, most wild animals would kind of, like, shy away from a human. They'd be like, oh, a human, back away, but these they'll be very calm. No, maybe it's just because I saw that episode of Doctor Who with the water on Mars, but if I saw any creature that had consistent water dripping from it, uh, I would not, I don't care. It could be a, I could be a weary traveler and it could be a fully saddled horse and with no owner. Uh, no, you want what? That's a red flag. Are these people colorblind? Well, I mean, you're right because the next part of my note says this is part of their trap. <laughs> uh, and that's referring to like them seem like very calm and enticing. This is all part of their trap. So you're imagine like you're a weary traveler, you're traveling along, you find this horse, it's already got a saddle and a bridle, and it just kind of is like there. And you're like, oh, a horse. Oh, well, I've got such a long way to go before nightfall, and I really would like to get to the next village and continue on my adventuring journey, perhaps find the next like board of of side quests that I need to continue with the dragons. So then you go up to this beautiful horse and you uh, maybe like you like touch its flank or you grab its bridle and like you start trying to get on this horse. So you've now touched this Kelpie. You've put your head, you have touched it. Okay. And it's magic. It's like, ah, you've activated my trap card. No. And your skin will begin to melt into the Kelpie's flesh. 
like binding with it. So you're now stuck to this Kelpie. So you can't get away. If you've climbed onto its back, you will now not be able to dismount as the Kelpie now gallops towards the water. No! Drags its victim underneath and drowns them. And that's why they're a horse. So one of the most common tales about Kelpies is that of uh, the Kelpie and the Ten Children. This is like a folklore tale. The Kelpie and the Ten Children gather round, uh, gather round grandmother and she will tell you of the Kelpie and the Ten Children in order to terrify you to not leave the house and touch strange things, children. Never leave the house again. And never sleep again. <laughs> Taking the form of a beautiful horse, the Kelpie lured nine children onto its back and chased after the tenth. The tenth child strokes the nose of the Kelpie, and his finger becomes stuck to the Kelpie's face. He, thinking quickly, uses his pocket knife to free himself by cutting off his fingers. No! He escapes with his life, but the other nine children are stuck to the Kelpie's back, and they are dragged into the water and never seen again. Sweet dreams, children! Come again tomorrow for Grandmother's Cautionary Tale story around the fireplace. Next time, we'll deal with German Cautionary Tales, and we will talk about the long-legged scissor man. Now, if you tell that story to your kid, like, someone's getting called. (laughs) Kid goes to school, Mommy told me a story (laughs) about a horse that drowns you. I would have been that kid. I was absolutely that kid. I, every, like... The amount of times my parents had like parent-teacher conferences where they're like, to my dad specifically, they're like, so did you really tell your kid? He'd be like, damn kid can't keep her mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Like one time there was some kind of anniversary of the Jersey Devil and we live in New Jersey. So he's like, oh, I'm going to tell my kids like a spooky bedtime story about the Jersey Devil. And so he told my sister and I like all about the lore and the history of the Jersey Devil. I marched right into school the next day and like word for word verbatim regurgitated the story to my, I think I was in second grade at the time to like all my second grade peers. And most of the kids were like, oh yeah, the Jersey Devil, my parents told me that story too. And then like one kid apparently had like a horrifying nightmares and his mom called the school and they called my parents and my mom's like, okay. Told them the story. You go to the parent-teacher conference. Okay, okay. That I'm gonna... was hilarious. My teacher also thought it was hilarious. If every other kid was like, oh yeah, my parents said that too, why did you get in trouble? It's the parents' fault for coddling the child. That's, well, yeah, that's the only reason I got in trouble is because like he went home, apparently had nightmares, told his parents that I told him this story. They complained to the school. And the teacher, like, the whole, like, my dad loves to tell the story because apparently the teacher was like, I think this is really dumb, but because a parent complained, like, we have to have this meaning to say that we talked about this. And, like, we left and my dad's like, you can't keep repeating things that I tell you in school. I'm like, why? Everyone thought I was cool. (laughs) Okay, where was I? A brief aside that the Kelpie's ability to meld its skin with its victim's skin reminds me of how anglerfish reproduce. (laughs) Oh, no. um, Because there are, like, the bottom of the ocean, it's so dark and, like, pressure, and there's, like, not a lot of life down there, or, like, the life that's down there is, like, very spread apart, and there's not, like, so there's not a lot of anglerfish in the ocean, but when a boy anglerfish wants to make babies with a lady anglerfish, he'll sniff out the lady anglerfish. He'll just go, oh, okay, hi, I found you. I love you. I'm going to bite you. 
because that's how I express my love. And so the female anglerfish will then start to emit an enzyme that will dissolve the male anglerfish's flesh and absorb him into her body until all that's left is a pair of testicles that she can then use to fertilize her eggs. Oh. That has nothing to do with Kelpies or Scottish folklore. It, that's just what immediately what comes to my mind when some kind of lore is like, hey, and then your skin bonds to the skin of something else. <laughs> like, like anglerfish? Uncomfortable. Yeah. Anglerfish make me uncomfortable. Another way that a Kelpie can defend itself or capture and drag a person to their watery grave is with their tail. So a Kelpie's tail can be brought down on the surface of the water with such incredible force that it brings out a th- like a th- clap of thunder and then a massive flood that can drag a person who is too near the shore into the water. And then once they're in the water, the Kelpie can grab them and drag them under. That's worse somehow. <laughs> you just have to be far enough away from the shore. Does anyone in Scotland even go near the shore of a body of water? I would never swim if I lived in Scotland and this is the stories I grew up with. I just, it's kind of cool to me that like their tail can do that when they usually take the form of a horse. Like a horse's tail is just hair. Like there's like that little stump of muscle near their spine, but like the majority of the tail is just hair that they like swish around and they're like, ah, oh, flies, get away from me. So the fact that like they can make that appear to look like a horse's tail and yet still have the prehensile strength to cause that much of a disturbance of the water, that's really cool. <laughs> so shape. your tail looks like hair, like the mane yes. of a horse, but it's actually like a thunderous Probably. muscle. Yeah, yeah. Slap, 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 slap. Like a mermaid fin, like boosh. <laughs> That's not any mermaid I want to encounter. You don't want to encounter it. Mermaids are murderous. <sighs> I just read a book about murder sirens. It was really good, but I was like, yeah, I'm never going in the ocean ever. I'm already terrified of the ocean. This just makes it worse. Okay, so mermaids are just manatees. Yeah, mermaids are manatees. Sirens are on a different level. Yeah. Uh, I'm very afraid of the ocean. <laughs> So once a Kelpie has dragged a human into the water and drowns them, it will then feed on them and leave nothing behind but the guts to then like float up to the surface and wash ashore, which is kind of weird because usually that's something like that a lot of predatory animals will go for. Like the guts are usually easy pickings. They're soft. They're easily terrible. Unless it's the lower intestine. No one wants that. It's filled with poop. That's probably what it was. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) I have here in my notes, although Kelpies are part of Scottish lore, they are not fans of haggis. Because <laughs> <laughs> they leave the guts behind. It's funny. Yeah. It's- <laughs> if the person that a Kelpie wishes to lure into the water is a man of heroic nature, rather than shifting into a beautiful horse, perhaps the Kelpie will transform into a beautiful woman. Woman, you say? To his watery doom, siren style. Uh, Lady Kelpies are more rare. Traditionally, Kelpies who take the form of humans are very, like, pretty young men in search of young lady victims. Uh, A folktale from the Scottish Isle of Barra, tales of a lonely Kelpie who transforms himself into a handsome young lad to woo a pretty girl, but the girl was clever and recognized the man to be a Kelpie, and she captures him while he slept by taking his silver necklace 
And as he reverts to his equine form, she takes him home to her father's farm where he is forced to work as a farm horse. And then after a year, she brings the Kelpie to a wise man who tells her to return the silver necklace she had taken back to the Kelpie and who then asks the Kelpie if he had a choice would he choose to stay a Kelpie or become a mortal man. And the Kelpie asks the girl if he became a mortal man, would she marry him? And she agrees to marry him. And so he turns into a man and they get married. Love, true love. True love. In the form of forced indentured servitude of a demon. The lady Kelpies that, like, appear as a beautiful woman to lure a man to his doom, usually they don't have to get, like, that in-depth with the backstory. They just have to turn into a beautiful woman and then stand alone. And then the man will show up and be like, ah, she clearly wants me to talk to her. And get all up in her business. And she's like, ah, I'm going to kill you now. (laughs) So really... I have more sympathy for the horse stealers than I do those ones. (laughs) After the folktale of the lady who kidnaps and makes him work as a horse, and then she marries him. It brings us to an important part of Kelpie lore, and that is capturing one. So a Kelpie has magical powers, obviously, and if you're able to harness those powers, it would be very beneficial to you. They have the strength of ten normal horses, and that's insane, because if you have one horse, they can haul, like, a heavy thing. If you have two horses, like, like the sheer, like, amount of horse strength you have as you add more horses, like, they can... Isn't horsepower exponential and yes. not, like, okay. Yeah. It's crazy. And apparently, and I only know this because uh, I forget, it's from an old episode of the uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me. Like they did like a whole section on like, apparently if two horses like have worked together before and are friends, like horses can be friends with each other. Like if these two horses like each other, they're stronger than just two stranger horses. By the power of friendship. By the power of, they are drift compatible horses. Horses are so strong. Uh, so yeah, so for like a Kelpie is, has one Kelpie has the strength of 10 horses. That's a lot of power. But that, is it 10 stranger horses or 10 horses that get along? No, Is it know. like a gang of like a, the squad, the horse squad? Or is it just like, here 10. Slapping their way down the boulevard, dancing. Yeah. When you're a horse, you're a horse. <laughs> Or is it like 10 horses on their freshman year orientation sitting in a circle? You Let's get to know each other with an icebreaker game. Two truths and a lie. I hate you all. I hate those icebreakers so much. I can identify every song from Michael McCormick's first three albums by the first note. <laughs> uh, and then I think the lie, I made up a new one each time, depending on my whimsy. <laughs> Yeah, icebreaker games are the worst. I hate icebreakers. Okay, so back to the back to the Kelpies and their magical powers that people would love to harness. Uh, so, oh, the Kelpie's bridle when it's in like because when it's in a horse form, it usually appears with a saddle and a bridle. If you are able to get a hold of a Kelpie's bridle, if you brandish the bridle at another person, you can uh, harness the transfer, like the shape-shifting transformation power of the bridle. You can transform that person that you're brandishing the bridle at into a horse or a pony for as long as the person holding the bridle wishes. So apparently the shape-shifting only applies to horse-shaped things. Here's the thing, do they... Do they know they're a horse? Not only do they know their horse, but I need to figure out how much intrinsic value this has to me. Well, if you're a farmer and you have some fields to till. 
No, you... but but like me personally, if I were to run across the Kelpie, would I be allergic to it in its horse form? Oh, that's a good question. Does it have equine dander? Ooh, allergy cryptid. Mm, Am I allergic question. to this cryptid? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the bridle is important because to capture a Kelpie, you must take its bridle. Uh, Not so... to be confused with its bride. <laughs> Because as we've already said, when they're in their equine form, they appear bridled, saddled, and ready to ride. And that's definitely not a euphemism for anything. Definitely no euphemisms in this tale. So if you are in possession of a Kelpie's bridle, you now have control over the Kelpie. Uh, In the previous story, the girl captures the Kelpie when he sleeps by removing his silver necklace, a.k.a. his bridle, when he's in his human form. It's interesting that it's silver because usually silver is what you use to protect yourself against uh, a lot of... um, Scots are built different. Anyway, one way to render a Kelpie powerless in order to take its bridle is to use a halter that has been stamped with the sign of the cross. So you gotta bring Jesus into it. Jesus! One folktale tells of the Laird of Murphy who captured a Kelpie and used it to carry the stones to build his castle. When the castle was complete, to his credit, the Laird did release the Kelpie, but the Kelpie was, understandably, pretty pissed. As you do. <laughs> captured and forced to labor to build uh, the castle of some rich dude. So upon leaving, he issued a curse upon the Laird and his family. Uh, Sir Mac and Sir Baines drive in the land of Morphe stains. The land of Morphe will never thrive as Ian the Kelpie is alive. So, as long as I'm alive, your family is cursed. You and your children and your children's children. So, like many creatures in mythology, the only way to kill a Kelpie is with a silver bullet. See, once again, see, silver, they're, they're, they are vulnerable to silver, so why was he wearing a silver necklace? Because a silver necklace... Is one wearing a silver necklace versus being shot by a silver bullet? I'm just saying, there should be consistency. How dare this mythology not have consistency? I mean, I'm pretty sure you could wear a nice steel necklace, but if somebody like shot you with a steel bullet, you would you'd die. I was just saying that, like, there were so many, like, not to drag Supernatural into this, but there were so many episodes of Supernatural where, like, even she was wearing, like, the the Hookman episode, she was wearing a silver necklace, and, like, they just, like, held the silver necklace near him, and he was like, ah, I'm weak. Like, because for some reason, the people of Supernatural thought that silver was akin to, like, kryptonite. Oh no, it's radioactive and poison against me. Oh, I'm weak. My powers are defeated in its presence. (laughs) So, okay. So the only way to kill a Kelpie is with a silver bullet, like a werewolf. After which it will dissolve into a mushy pile of goo, similar to like when a jellyfish washes up on a beach. Or like a pile of entrails that the Kelpie didn't finish eating, washing up on the beach. (laughs) Piles of goo. The clan McGregor is rumored to be in possession of Kelpie's bridle, passed down through generations from an ancestor who took it from the Kelpie near Lux Flocks. The story attached to Highlander James McGregor regards the Kelpie of Loch Ness. Uh, okay, so apparently my notes contradict themselves because one thing said it was from near Loch Schlocks, and this says it was near Loch Ness. So I'm not quite sure which lock is the correct lock, but... 
the story goes that in the area around Loch Ness, it was being terrorized by a demonic water horse preying on those who wandered too near the shores of the loch. So McGregor, as he was traveling through the region, came across a riding horse fully outfitted grazing along the roadside. Knowing that this must be the creature preying on the Highlanders, he approached the horse as if to mount it, and then at the last minute, drew his sword and struck at the creature's nose, cutting through the bridle and landing the object at McGregor's feet. Uh, He picked up the bit and the bridle and prepared to continue battling with the Kelpie. However, rather than attacking, the Kelpie proceeded to chastise McGregor for attacking him, as it had not attacked him first. And that Um, his actions were both cruel and illegal. um, I mean, technically, he's right. The Kelpie did not attack him. It was just standing there, grazing at the side of the road in in a luring, luring fashion. And then just went, excuse me, sir, what you just did was rude and illegal. I did not provoke you, and you do this to me? Exactly. So I so I guess, like, when it comes to, like, the rules of the Fae, you're only allowed to attack the Fae if they attack you first, even if they have a history of killing a lot of people. So rules are rules. The Kelpie proceeded to say, although it would be just, it would be justified returning the attack on McGregor in increased strength, that it did not care for, quote, such quarrels, and would be satisfied merely with the return of its bridle. McGregor responded with some very frank and probably not very polite opinions on the nature of the Kelpie. However, the Kelpie did not rise to this abuse, merely acknowledged the unpleasantness of the situation, and that all it wanted was its bridle back, very urgently. McGregor, through sly bargaining, learned that the bridle was a gift from the devil himself, and that in that small object lay the Kelpie's entire ability to shapeshift and deceive, to overpower its foes, and to trick the unwary. In addition to this, without the bridle, the Kelpie could not survive a full day and would die within 24 hours. McGregor's like, great, I've heard all I want to hear. I'm not going to give the bridle back. It's mine. Mine Mine forever. He turned around and walked home. The entire way, the Kelpie followed behind him, berating him, calling him names, begging for his bridle back. (laughs) I'm going to call you name. Please give me my stuff back, you jerk. When they came to McGregor's house, the Kelpie, in a fit of desperation, ran ahead of McGregor to position itself between McGregor and the front door and stated that McGregor would never pass through the door while in possession of the bridle. McGregor, meanwhile, anticipating this, went to the rear entrance of his house and he threw the bridle through an open window. (laughs) And then he walked back to the front door to the Kelpie and he was like, well, the bridle's already inside. (laughs) The Kelpie could not enter the house because there was a cross made of rowan wood across the door. And so accepting its fate, it left the threshold all the while screaming curses upon McGregor and his family. And the Kelpie was dead by morning. How do they know it was dead? Like, did they find a dead Kelpie? Did they find a puddle of goo? I don't know. They just said it was dead by morning. Maybe they just took the Kelpie. The Kelpie's like, I'll die in 24 hours. They're like, sounds good. (laughs) And it did Um, die and it went back and it's Loch Ness Monster. Don't know. But um, Nessie's going to get her own episode in the future because she deserves it. Some possible other origins for Kelpie lore. One of the principal theories is that it is related to ancient Scandinavian culture that included horse sacrifices, because uh, once you get like real far up into Scotland, it's real close to Norway, so those cultures crossed over a whole lot. Uh, There's a history of some Indo-European cultures involved in the practice of horse sacrifice as part of funeral rites, wherein the body of the horse was co-interred with that of the deceased. 
There are several cultures that involve the history of horse sacrifice, including Vedic, Roman, Norse, and Irish. And since the Kelpie myth is heavily prevalent in Scotland, and there are, like you said, there's large parts of Scotland that show heavy influence of Norse culture, it's likely that this is the source of influence, uh, specifically a Norse ceremony in which a horse is dismembered for eating and the blood is sprinkled on a sacred tree. Other possible origins is that of a more practical purpose, which is as a cautionary tale to keep children away from dangerous areas of water and to warn young women to be wary of strange, attractive men who they don't know and who appear out of nowhere. There is also a more recent theory uh, been put forth by historian Charles Milton Smith that the Kelpie myth might have originated with the prevalence of water spouts that can form over the surfaces of locks and which give the impression of a living creature moving across the water. If you've ever seen a water spout, it's just a tornado that forms over water. And so that's just like an area of uh, high pressure moving to an area of low pressure, like vertically, for like from the cloud to the ground quickly in a spiral. So that can form anywhere, it can form over water, it can form over land, it can form in uh, things that are on fire. If you've ever seen a fire tornado, they're very terrifying. Tornadoes are terrifying. Uh, but so ones that form over water, so instead of just kicking up dirt and picking up like trees and stuff, it's lifting water. So yeah, you're going to see just like the, the, the water is going to look like it's alive. They're very intimidating. Uh, the meteorological conditions that are present for a tornado to form are already pretty intense. Extreme wind, rapid drops in pressure, loud roaring sounds, probably uh, the water's already pretty turbulent and is exceeding its regular kind of water lines. Uh, it's not too much of a stretch for someone who has uh, limited knowledge of meteorology to see like a whirling mass of water being pulled upwards into the sky and be like, that is a demon. That is a demon walking the earth. <laughs> <laughs> In Sir Walter Scott's epic poem, The Lady of the Lake, there is a line that could possibly be even referencing this phenomena. He watched the wheeling eddy boil till from their foam his dazzled eyes beheld the river demon rise. So... Could be poetic license, could have been a, a water spout. Uh, there's some pretty wild artistic depictions of Kelpies. Uh, there's the Robert Burns poem, uh, Addressed to the Deal, which mentions Kelpies. When throws dissolve the sawny hood and float the jingling icy brood, then water Kelpies haunt the fjord by your direction, and nighted travelers are lured to their destruction. There's the Kelpies in Falkirk, which are 30-meter-high horsehead sculptures in Helix Park. I would love to see them in person. Uh, we can put a picture of them on the Instagram. They are wild-looking. Okay. My personal favorite depiction of Kelpies, and one of the main reasons I chose this topic... Um, okay, I'm going to talk about deviant art for a little. Okay. Yeah. Uh there is a 12-page webcomic drawn by Emma Weekly, who uh, goes by Porcelain Doll on DeviantArt, and it depicts, it's a webcomic entirely without words, but it depicts the story of two children lured by a Kelpie, one of whom rips his own arm off to escape, but who has to watch his friend be dragged to the bottom of a lake. It is incredible like her art style is just so beautifully drawn it is so haunting um i highly recommend checking out their gallery um i don't think we're going to be able to post pictures of that on the instagram just because we don't have copyright permission to post their art but uh if you get a chance to go uh onto her gallery on DeviantArt and give it a look it is eerie it is terrifying and it is beautifully drawn and that kelpie coming haunts my nightmares <laughs> and that's kelpie's Yay! Even water horses that 
drag you to your watery grave. Da 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 da. <laughs> I seriously do need to stop doing things that have uh, Celtic words that I can't pronounce in them. So <laughs> either that or start looking up the pronunciations beforehand and putting in like things in the notes that are like, this is how you say this. There's a website that I use. So when I used to uh, phone bank, we would just get lists and they'd be 180 name and phone number long lists. And we had to call them. And one thing is like, I don't know if you've noticed, but if somebody calls you and they mispronounce your name, you immediately hang up. Yes. Uh, well, we utilize a website called pronouncenames.com. Okay. And sometimes it'll just give you written out phonetically. And sometimes it'll even be recording. Sometimes they're just like, computer rendered recordings but sometimes it's people actually pronouncing them it depends on who like edits them but you can even find names of like towns and stuff so awesome okay i will check that out uh if you want to email us anything at this point anything stories uh questions comments concerns just want to say say hello (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just say hi. Uh, you can email us at trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. We are also found on Instagram at trulyfabulouslymonstrous. And we are on Twitter at tfabmonsterpod because trulyfabulouslymonstrous was too long of a Twitter handle. But tfabmonsterpod has its own catchiness. Yeah. All right, yeah, so uh, join us next time. I will tell you about a true crime, and I will try to make it fun and not... A trip to Bummer Town for a lot of super bummer. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be there. We hope you will too. Bye. Bye.